So today I spoke with Sue and Sue is a dog behaviorist and it was a really great conversation and anybody if you're even if you're not into dogs really it was a fascinating conversation and we got into the differences of dog trainers and dog behaviorists and actually how the two inter, uh, interlock together and how they're very entwined in what they do. So the differences are very nuanced and subtle but actually quite important and it was wonderful to have Sue's perspective on certain behaviours and with people and expectations. And actually, it was very interesting how Sue got into it herself. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the David Watson podcast. Good morning. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good morning. Excellent. And again, thank you very much for coming on. Um, so just to give people some reference, you were introduced to me by Lindsay. Uh, she uh-huh. did the emails introductions. So thank you very much for that, Lindsay. And <laughs> could you explain to people what you do? Um, I'm a, I'm a qualified dog behaviorist. Um, I started my business, uh, less than 12 months ago, just coming up for 12, 12 months now. So yeah, so I started, I started studying dogs about seven years ago when I got my first dog. Um, and um, I now, yeah, I now t- I train puppies and I speak to people about um, dog behavior and try and correct any issues that people have with their dogs. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I'm also doing some other study with regard to that. Um, I'm particularly interested in canine nutrition um, and also physiology of the dog. So I d- tend to do um, quite a lot of study on musculoskeletal stuff with regards to dogs um, and the association between pain and behaviour because it's a massive yeah. a massive thing. A lot of people think that dog behaviour is purely down to their psychology and a lot of the time it's more down to, to pain issues. Okay, so what dogs do you have at the moment yourself? Uh, I have four dogs. I have two French bulldogs. Very Vinny nice. And Flo. Yeah, um, and they were my first dogs. And then more recently, two years ago, I got Aiden, who is a um, point across from a Greek rescue shelter, Sandy Strays. Uh, he's coming up three. And then he's coming up four, actually. And then Inca came a year ago. She's from the same Greek shelter. She's um, what's called a Kokoni. So she's uh, like a little lap dog. She's the smallest out of the four. And was there any, with the the French Bulldogs, was there any particular reason for cho- choosing that breed that you knew of at the was, time? Or just No, it was a complete accident. And actually, um, Vinny, who's the eldest, who's, um, who's nearly seven, um, it, it was almost kind of a gift. I know, you, I mean, you, you know, don't condone gifting dogs, but what had happened back along, and this is really why I'd started um, getting interested in dog behaviour, is um, me and my partner, bought a house about eight years ago and I was working from home. I'd started working with him in his business. Um, and so I was at home a lot on my own. My daughter was at school all day. And so I, I thought, you know, we live kind of near the new forest. It would be nice to get a dog so I can get out and do some walks and stuff. So anyway, we looked at some rescue dogs. I kind of wanted a Dachshund. Um, my partner was um, wanted an Alsatian. <laughs> and so we... <laughs> So I'm interested in how this now comes about. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and so he, he he won. And um, so I started, I think it was either, you know, we get a big dog or we don't get one at all. So I kind of went down the big dog route. Anyway, we got this gorgeous German Shepherd, five-year-old German Shepherd from a rescue um, in not too far away. And... Um, we're told that she was um, a little bit funny with other dogs, occasionally. Um, and it transpired that it wasn't very occasional um, and she hated every dog. Wow. And uh, it meant that going out four walks was a, was just horrendous. And it was kind of my first taste of what it's like to own um, a reactive dog, a, a troublesome dog, you know? Everybody gets a dog and thinks that uh, has this preconceived idea of what their dog's going to look like and what it's going to behave like and they're going to go on walks and it's going to sit 
on the settee or, or not on the settee if that's the case in your house and it's not going to go upstairs and it's going to go to the toilet in the garden and everybody's going to be really happy and it's just going to do what it's told all the time and and I kind of believed that too I think and um but but Ruby was um an amazing dog in the house just you know really lovely and n not a problem at all um but it's soon as you put on a lead and took her outside she'd turn into this absolute whirlwind and it, it, several reasons for that but reasons that we never really know she'd had three homes previously that should have rung the alarm bells to start yeah with, but i trusted the um the shelter and what they were saying to me so um i had a cut long story short i had her for 11 12 weeks so by which time i i was emotionally wrecked actually it's amazing what um it's very stressful that kind of thing can have yeah and i didn't understand that you know she was really my first dog and um and actually you know it broke me to to give her back but the fact was i wasn't able to look after her. i'd i'd phoned several behaviorists nobody really wanted to come come near her nobody really wanted to get involved nobody really gave me any proper information that's a shame um yeah and so it, it kind of put put me off the whole dog thing and it was about a year later that um there was a litter two litters of french bulldogs at the yard where where we had our business um and um yeah yeah my partner came home one day and just said oh you've got to see these dogs they're so cute oh, they're really lovely not really i wasn't really thinking about getting another dog at that point um and then we went to see them and then Vinny basically just ambled over from the rest of this the, the mad litter of French bulldogs, ambled over and sat on my foot and um, promptly weed on it and uh, looked at me. D with done his, deal. Yeah, with these little ears, which weren't up. Um, yeah. That are obviously, you know, um, so his ears are flat. He it, it just looked so kind of dejected and like just take me home it's mad here and i can't cope and, and, look, and my ears don't even go up you know? seems and almost so, a pity dog yeah it was really yeah and, and so um i looked at him and, and i kind of like resonated with he was like you know that my yeah. life encapsulated at that point i think like, um, mate really and um and then my partner said you know which which one do you want um so there you go that's how we got Vinny. And then I got Flo a year later, who's also a Frenchie, for um, for company, for Vinny. I don't think he's ever forgiven me. Because yeah. She's the most rambunctious, bossy, opinionated bulldog. Um, yeah. Does he but look at you go. sometimes and say, look, do you remember when I sat on your foot? I thought we had a deal then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was quite funny because after about three days, Vinny had this look of, when's she going home again? You know, this little 12 week old puppy running around jumping on his head and oh what he put up with is, is astonishing but but they're they're literally like Bonnie and Clyde now you know they're just like a little married couple that's good so what drew you to the um the, the two dogs from the Greek rescue so Xanti strays came about <clears throat> oh here we go okay um I worked in in Zakynthos in Zanti um in 1997 I actually started holidaying on the island for those of you who don't know um Zanti is a, a small Greek island in the Ionian Sea um just south of um it, it, it's not too far from Crete um and it I'm just trying to think of the name of the other island it's it's left me for a minute but anyway it's kind of it, it's nearer to the UK than all the other Greek islands on the other side and um I, I went there for the, my, one of my first main holidays in 1991. Kind of back of every, pretty much every year because it's such a nice little place. In 1997, I decided that I was going to have a break from my career and um, go and interview for Thomas Cook to be a holiday rep, partly for a bit of a laugh. Um, and um, partly because I just thought it'd be nice because I'd never done a gap year. I didn't go to university, you know. Yeah. Been, I'd literally gone left school at fifteen and bang straight into to a career, really. And um, so I did that. Um, I went off to Bromley and did my interview. And I wanted to go to Cyprus. I wanted to get placed in Cyprus because I'd been there the 
only a few months before actually met some English people obviously the bigger expat community and I uh, thought it'd be really cool to do a season over there but I didn't I didn't get Cyprus and they sent me the letter the next morning bizarre bizarre recruiting process for that kind of thing back then so I'd gone to, for this interview in in London um, like an all-day interview you have to stand up and do talks and all that kind of bit and written tests and maths and all that sort of stuff um, and then literally because it was creeping up to um, when the season starts over there, which is May, this was about the beginning of April. Um, so it was the last intake of the reps. And I'd gone back home on the train about four o'clock in the afternoon, the next morning and get a letter in the post because there was no emails or anything then. And um, to say that, yes, I had been successful. And yes, I'd been weirdly um, given Zante. Um, and they didn't even know about, you know, the fact that, you know, I've been there for a few times. I really like the island. So anyway, so that's that's how that started. So I, I did a season. I lived over there in 97 and then literally went back every year after that, pretty much without fail. But by then I'd made new friends, the, the hoteliers who I was working with and all the rest of it. I actually got married over there um, in 2003. Um, but anyway, and... Um, so they, there had always been a, a real issue with stray dogs over there. There'd always been a problem. And I remember living in the apartment in Kalamaki and um, oftentimes we'd come down the stairs. I, there was two other girls in, in my apartment and, you know, there'd be some dog hovering around. So invariably we'd feed it, we'd try and de-flee it and de-tick it and things like that and then just kind of send it back off into the, into the world sort of thing. But um, it was about... Five years ago, I went um, went back to, to to holiday, and they built a shelter there. Okay. Somebody had um, managed to do some fundraising, and they and they built the shelter. So the next year, when I went back, I kind of looked it up online when I came home, um, and uh, yeah, and and so I I basically my holidays now um, don't involve really holidaying much, and um, the first part of the day up to the early afternoon involves me going shoveling dog poo and, um, <laughs> and, and washing down concrete slabs and seeing all these guys but so I went to my first first year that I actually went to help at the shelter um Aiden was there there was a it was about 120 dogs um and I did some videos at the time actually which is quite interesting but um he he was in one of the pens with some of the, the nicer dogs, the less the less sort of um, desperate, I suppose, bless them. Um, but he was really sweet and, and good natured and really soft mouthed. And and then he just got to the point where he just followed me around the pen wherever I went with my little brush and um, putting the food in the tins and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then he started waiting for me every morning so he obviously had a plan in the background. I was going to say, I get a sense that the two dogs for definite just know that, hang on a second, this one will take me home. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 well, and Astrid, who, an amazing lady, Dutch lady who, who runs the shelter, who lives over on the island and is there literally 365 days a week. Um, she said to me, look at him, look at him again. And I've got a photo of him in it. Um, I mean, the, the pen, I mean, forget Battersea, it's just nothing like that. This was kind of what you'd consider to be a, a construction site where they kind of scraped a bit of a gap. They'd thrown up some wire mesh fencing. Yeah. Um, and basically the dogs were led on all the concrete and the rocks and everything else. It's just that they couldn't get out and nothing could get to them. But there was like a breeze block kind of shelf at the front of each where they kind of tried to, you know, build half a foundation of something and he used to rest his head on this breeze block and watch me the whole time so for the four hours or whatever I was there in the morning he'd literally just sit and watch me go up and down up and down and as soon as I came in in the morning they go they go absolutely bananas you know 100 odd dogs yeah they, they hear you coming through the main gate and they will start and um he'd just be led there with his head on a breeze block watching me wait because he knew I'd go in and see him and probably spend he knew you were taking him home well, I did, and that wasn't the plan, you see. That was never the plan that I, because I already had two dogs, and um, and I wasn't obviously working in as a dog professional then, um, and 
but I then had to um, phone my partner and, and kind of plead to to foster him. That was the that was the plan was just to get him out of there. He'd been there. He was dumped as a, a puppy. He was eight weeks old and he was dumped at the supermarket um, with all his brothers and sisters. So and he was fifteen months old by then. So he'd never mm. been out of that cage for the whole time. And so um, you're not convincing yeah. me. You already have the dog. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, sound right. like you're saying I the know. case again. It's like, right, yeah, I know. It's just, yeah, I remember you're reliving the conversation. <laughs> but after about four weeks, we got him home. Um, obviously, he had to come home on the transporter, so it was about five weeks later. No, it was only about three weeks later, actually. Uh, about four weeks later, somebody made an inquiry to, to adopt him, by which time it was just... <clears throat> no. No. <laughs> no. It wasn't going anywhere. So, and he follows me everywhere now. Oh, that's Absolutely good. Everywhere still. That's good. That's good. And the last dog, the last dog, the Coco. Rinky Dink, um, Inca. Yeah, she she was um, she was thrown in through the, the gate when they were cleaning one morning, um, and they kind of turned around and it was just like there's an extra dog, um, <laughs> and she she's tiny. They thought she was a puppy, but it was just a breed. She was just little, um, and. That was, that was basically um, more down to her size than anything else. Because um, I saw her, uh, one of the girls sent me a photo, and um, I thought, oh, well, she's only little. I could kind of, you know, just you could smuggle her. her in. Nobody well, would know. No, that was the, my thinking. I was thinking, well, if I put her under the stairs, just yeah. temporarily, then um, it's quite possible my partner wouldn't even see or or, or realise. And there's no, no harm. She, she's not, not taking up any room. Too small to eat a lot. She doesn't eat a lot, you know. So, and it, she's just delightful. She's just the loveliest. It of made all. perfect sense to take her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No more though. No. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> I, I, I think no. you, you're probably serious, but I could still, I could see a moment when it would happen. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's been moments. Yeah, I, I believe yeah, you're yeah. sincere. I believe that you, you actually genuinely like. No, right now, this minute, no more dogs. <laughs> but one could turn up, and you'd be like, you would find a way to elevate the reasons upwards. Yeah, that's the trouble. That's the trouble. But yeah, I've been. But uh, no, four dogs is. Um, it's a lot. People say, yeah. People say, oh, it's only one more. You know, you don't really notice the difference when you get to four. Trust me, you know it's the difference. Yeah, I it were. One time we had three dogs and two cats and it, everything's just under your feet. Even if they all get yeah. on well, even if they all get on well, yeah. it's just, it's like, you know, it's too much. It's too, it gets too much sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> so, it is. So, right. so how did you then decide to become an, actually, how do you become a dog behaviourist? <laughs> well, there's, there's many, there's many different qualifications and, um, the dog profession is still largely unregulated. Yeah. Um, so um, there's various different levels of qualifications and things that you can do. So I've actually got an advanced diploma with the British College of Canine Studies. Um, I also um, have done uh, several side things with that, um, including dog law, which is another area that I'm quite interested in. So. I have a certificate in that, but I'm ongoing study um, at the moment. I'm ongoing study period. Um, so I'm doing a canine nutrition master's course with a lady called Linda Case in the States, who's um, amazing. Um, but um, you can have um, things like degrees in um, applied yeah. animal behavior and, and you know, there's all sorts of different things depending on what you want to yeah. do. So for me, it was just like I I, stu I studied for a year um, to to get this advanced diploma um, whilst reading, you know, millions and other books and and stuff like that. Um, but I think you know it depends kind of what angle you're going to go at it with. So I mean, people sort of refer to me sometimes as a trainer. Essentially, I'm not. That's not why I went into the dog profession. Um, it's oh, let you sound. I just say uh, yeah. I just say uh, I just heard one of them. Yeah, that's perfect. That's right on cue. Yeah, um, and there's Flo as well, and she snores. So if she starts, I, I might have to. Um, I have a staffy, and she can snore, even when she looks awake. 
I'm just like yeah, it's yeah. just weird. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Flo is the loudest sleeper on the planet. Um, so yeah, so there's there's quite a lot of ways of going into it. So um, my 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 thing I think really is looking at the relationship between the owner and the dog is is predominantly a thing for me. Also the pain relationship, but yeah. also the the nutrition side of it as well. So I'll look at look at the behaviour and. And I do train and I do, I, do, I do puppy classes and things like that. But there's certain elements that um, I potentially wouldn't get involved in. So high level reactivity and stuff like that. I think when you're in an unregulated profession, it's very important to know yeah. where you're at, you know, and be really transparent with people and be really honest. Um, and so um, that there's obviously a lot of people that don't do that and there's a lot of frustration with that particularly with um dog you know dog business owners that have built up a, a you know a really good reputation and that kind of thing because there's still that big divide between force-free training um you know and and the, the punishment element shot collars prong collars <coughs> all that kind of thing which is still used i mean from i unbelievably but you know, they're still used for, for training so, purposes. Just, I, I'm aware of shock collars. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I have no skin in the game for this, obviously. So it is, sure. um, I, I've heard good cases for them. I've heard good cases against them, do you know what I mean? Okay. For, so from my zero experience, I, you know, because I have uh -huh. no experience in this, I, I think a lot of that for me would come down to how are you using it, why are you using it, and at what level are you using it? Do you know what uh -huh. I mean? as opposed to yes. they're singly a bad thing that shouldn't be used it's you know i i but i've heard arguments so where do you sit with that as somebody that has probably got a lot more experience than most people well you know from i mean when we say experience again let's, let's put it into context i mean i've been running my my business a year um i've never um worked with anybody to this point that has used any of those things historically. I have um, been in consultation with clients that have been advised by other behaviorists yeah. to use a prong collar um, and, and um, shock collars. Um, but I think, I think uh, you know, I tend to go down the, the uh, probably one of the, the most sensible statements that was was said and, and something that I believe in. I went um, to a, a seminar with um, School of Canine Science last year um, and uh, Joe Rosie Haffenden, who is one of the most prolific dog trainers in the country. She was she's amazing. She's, um, she did programs on Channel 4 and she's, she's very high profile. Um, she's been expert witness in court trials and things like that, mm. which is another area that I'm really interested in. She, but she said, the bottom line is, is that, you know, if you've got somebody that, that's either hell bent on using that kind of method for training right. a dog, or if you're in a position whereby the only option, if it's ultimately for the dog's safety, and it means that that dog isn't going to be put to sleep as a consequence, um, then, then that's kind of your reason. It's really extreme. So what we're saying is, is if you have a dog that um is going to either pose somebody else so much of a problem that it will be required by the court to be put to sleep yeah or it's going to cause itself so much of a problem as to it's going to harm itself and and essentially kill itself and that is the only way of getting around it then potentially you have an argument for the use of a shock collar yes yeah, so, so it'd really be done around the basis of in the best interests of the dog as opposed to yeah. this, well, you've got this no, is the, yeah. yeah, as opposed no, to no this is everything. the very first thing we're going to try and use to train the dog. It's like, no, 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 hold back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly that, exactly that, because that's the thing. These kind of, um, this, this, you know, and it's, I mean, it's not, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's not an easy fix for, for many reasons, but one of them being the damage that it does between, to the relationship between you and the dog you know? yeah yeah i mean it's like i said i i have no personal experience i definitely i have no personal yeah. experience of either um i've seen what i would call 
valid arguments towards shock collars. You know, from the from the point of the view, the trainer that's using them is like, no, these, these are a short term thing to correct a behavior or implement a behavior. You know, typically it's a boundary thing or something like that or a reaction thing. I've mm. never, I've never looked or seen that I'm aware of any valid argument for a prong collar. Do you know what I mean? They, no. they just look horrible, and mm-hmm. you know, and and, and yeah, and I, I'm going to stay away from that because I don't have any ex- personal experience of of yeah. either, and I yeah. don't want to appear to be advocating for something I don't have any personal experience of. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but one of the things, because I've seen this rising up through the um, on social media and stuff. Um, mm. So where are you then with things like the raw meat diet that's becoming, gaining some popularity? <laughs> um, a raw, raw meat diet is, is great if, if, that's what, um, if that's what you want to feed your dog as far as, you know. And again, you know, there's a caveat here. I'm not a qualified nutritionist at this no. point. Um, so, no, no, um, this so is I, like I literally just for opinion. Do you know what I mean? Because from personal from personal experience, which is what I can go by, raw diet is great. Um, however, there, there 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 are certain drawbacks to it. So um, you've got raw meat hanging around for a start. Yeah. Okay. So first off, nine times out of ten, um, people are going to go for the the pre prepared raw diets, which are, are frozen invariably. So you need a large freezer. Um, and um, and then you have to be really organised and remember to defrost it all, um, and that can be a problem sometimes, uh, especially when you've been to the pub the night before and you've yeah. forgotten to take it out. Yeah, um, and suddenly your but... dog's having a bowl of sugar puffs. <laughs> yeah, so um... <laughs> don't take. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's great. It it's great, but it's not totally essential. There is this this kind of battle between the um you know the raw diet and the the tins and the kibble and the all this that and the other what i would say is that um i think you should be feeding your dog the best diet that you can afford yes um you can and 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 that's really all you can ask interestingly i mean i'm i'm not a fan of kibble i do feed my dog to kibble very occasionally because again it's a convenience thing what is kibble? Um, but it, but it's um, it's the little biscuits. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the dried food, um, but it tends to be a, like a freeze dried raw preparation that that I feed them, um, and I certainly wouldn't feed them anything that was different colours because that's kind of yeah. Food marketing companies have really really got it going on. But uh, yeah, food marketing is is <clears throat> is one of the most spectacularly. Um, Oh, it's just, I it's think, just like you said, though, strange. unregulated. Yeah, it's unregulated. But I mean, so we no, can you sell know, you any idea we want. And tell it, you. Because it plays on emotion, doesn't it? It does, dogs, yeah, yeah. You know, dogs are, are, are very emotive. And um, and dog owners know. are the most passionate people going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So exactly. So it's mm. it's one of those things that it's quite easy to sort of argue the toss. But yeah, no, so with the, the, with the raw and the, and the kibble, um, there was a research... A, a big study done a few years back um, in Norway, and and this is something that I, I often tell my clients. And it was found that currently in the UK, fifty uh, percent of dogs will die from cancer. That's one in two dogs. Um, and it was found that dogs fed on a kibble diet, on a on a dry food diet, if you replaced three of their meals. Um, with 25%, so if you took 25% out of that meal of the kibble and replaced it with fresh food, so whether that's things like fruit or um, leafy vegetables, um, you know, just in general, just fresh fresh food that you and I would normally eat. If you did that three times a week, you would reduce their risk of cancer uh, by up to 90%. Okay. 90%. So it's a that's massive, an interesting, yeah, that, that's interesting. That's very, yeah. very interesting. Because so cancer is a massive know, thing for dog owners. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's huge, you know. And so people, you know, if you're feeding a dog dry food, then I just say, you know, give them some, you know, fresh scraps of, of whatever you're having, you know, as long as it's not really processed and, you know, that kind of thing. Just chuck a bit of your food in with it as well. Um, just be mindful of the 
the calories and stuff and and that's already a better diet it doesn't have to be raw there's people that are you know that are, are raw mad and um you know and, and you know i had somebody mention to me yesterday that um you know i, I shouldn't cook the meat that i'm giving my dogs so i actually cook yeah my dogs as, as as i would myself but i think you made um, a, a brilliant point do the best you can with what you can afford yeah yeah do you know what I mean? and you know that that's what you know that's probably the most sensible way you know because there's lots of very loving responsible owners out there and we all have different budgets yeah absolutely absolutely and there's a vast there's a vast scale and you know i I would argue that um you know a dog that's got a good life and given plenty of love and affection spends a lot of time in its owners goes out for lovely walks gets you know gets to play games in the garden and hide and seek and things like that is 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 more important than you know worrying about having the the, the highest grade raw diet and yeah. being sat eating steak and chicken every night you know it's um it's quality of life and and all things in in context and perspective because i do think i agree completely actually because one of the things um and this has been a conversation for us recently as we I, we've had dogs all our life all our life uh-huh. um, and our last so we have Molly now, but she's actually, I think she's about eight or nine years old. And we got her in August. She was a rescue because sadly her owner died. And the happiest you ever see her is when she's walking. Walking or sleeping. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think people underestimate. And it it doesn't have to be running around the field for hours on end. Just, yeah. just you know, it can just, no, take them out. Stimulate their brain. It, it's, what they, yeah. it's what they want. Yeah. Yeah, scent work and and chews and um, you know d- different things. You know they they they're clever little things and they they want variety. Um, and um, if they get that, then it, it, they're happier as a consequence. You know, there's a lot more um, focus on um, dog enrichment now, which is you know just doing basic things with them. You know, training your dog, teaching them to do a, a high five or a middle or, yeah. or you know or something like that. Um, you know, they don't have to go to agility classes every week. You don't have to sign up for a flyball membership. You, you, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. It's just setting aside little portions of time to spend with them. And, you know, and as a multi-dog household like I am, that's that can be really tricky. <laughs> um, so I kind of have to sort of rotate. Otherwise, I just spend, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd have my breakfast, I'd go out for a dog walk, I'd come home, I'd make a cup of tea, I'd spend four hours training and doing scent work and hiding treats around the place. I'd take them out for a walk again and then I'd go to bed. <clears throat> yeah. You know, so, I, you know. But, That's responsible dog ownership right there in a, in a sense. You know, like, yeah, it's like, yeah. And I live in a cardboard box. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> a little sign saying, four dogs, please yeah. be generous. This is what happens, yeah. You know. yeah. This is what happens when you go mad at the rescue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can see you ended up with an, another dog. I really can. Don't, just... don't touch. The thing is, though, I can see you smiling. So I know in the back of your head, you're like, <laughs> don't, don't say it. But yes, yes, I really want that. I really do want that. Um, it's really hard. It's really hard because, you know, you, you know, you can help. But again, you have to put it into context. It's like I could take another dog, but then I'm also running my own business. I have an 18 year old daughter. I have four dogs already um so you know kind of something how do you make all that work really it's, it's not me you need to convince it's your partner it's, it's right yeah <laughs> it, it always sounds like a rehearsed speech <laughs> I'm, I'm actually yeah i'm, I'm actually I, I live i'm an individual now so um, i don't even have that, that to, to worry about okay so one of the questions i wanted to ask you so i'd imagine a common question would be person you know what what the stereotypes of personality for dogs their behaviours, you know, per breed. I'm not interested in that. What are the stereotype of owners? Oh, wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> you must, I'm just assuming, but you must, like, somebody walks in and you're like, you're that bloody owner. Right, okay. <clears throat> and then and there's yeah, a positive I mean... of you, you get someone else and you're like, oh, you're this owner. Oh, this is going to be great. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. And, and, and you know, so human psychology is something that I've also been interested in. Um, and before I, I even got involved in the, the dog side of it, I was studying, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm like a hobby study person. So I yeah. did a, 
a diploma in um, <laughs> um, criminal psychology profiling. Okay, so I did I did a diploma in that. I was very proud of that because I got one hundred percent in everything, um, which is well slightly unnerving. Because thank you very much. Um, because it was twelve case studies all on serial killers. <laughs> so the fact that I can <laughs> I can tune into that and be academically brilliant when it comes to things like that is a little bit disturbing. Uh, um, I appreciate. Yeah, sorry because th that must to be that astute at criminal <laughs> serial killers must by definition determine that you could potentially be it, a serial it killer. Would say so yeah, it would say, it would say something like. And I'm not obviously for my own safety. I'm not accusing you of being a serial killer. No, no, but I, I would. I, but the, you know, if you draw I the dots, I just find it fascinating. But that that that's kind of that's kind of the thing for me. I find it fascinating because it is about you know what makes people tick and that kind of thing. But when it comes to dog yeah, of course, every everybody you know, you could say that in any profession. I mean, you know, having a like a fitness background, I'd have people walk into my classes and you would have the ones that you know yeah. would always be at the back. You'd have the ones that always, would always be at the front, the ones that would always drop out halfway through, um, having some kind of breakdown, um, <laughs> you know, and, and that kind of thing. Not every class, obviously, but yes, you get to know, you get to know yeah. it stereotypical um, kind of, yeah. But I mean, that's, that's with anyone, you, you know, you can box people into different things and depending on which you know which kind of assessment or but treatment you, you know whatever you give them you can box you, them any way you want do you ever see certain owners a certain type of owner with a certain type of dog i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i don't think i've been i've been doing it long enough to to do that really I've seen really poorly mismatched dogs to owners, oh. um, rescue dogs in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, let's face it, I'd, I'd know about that because that was me at the beginning. Yeah. 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 Um, sure. So, um, yeah, I've definitely seen that. Um, you know, the old dogs look like their owners kind of thing. Yeah, I suppose there is, there is, an, there is to a point. I don't, I don't know sometimes whether it's, whether, you know the dogs that like their owners and that kind of taking that analogy or whether it's and in which it seems to be more sensible is that the owner rubs off on that dog to a point yeah and vice versa that you almost mold that dog into a sort of subversion of you we like i said i didn't know molly's owner before me I, I do know because um the family sent on the paperwork that she was about 18 months two years old and he rescued her from the rspca but I also know that he was a very close friend of my uncle's. He was allegedly very strict with her. She had a bed. That's where she she slept. She wasn't allowed on the furniture. She wasn't allowed to jump up. None of those. Okay, so she's been with us since August. She sleeps wherever she wants. She goes wherever she wants. She sleeps on my bed at night. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> and, and, it, and it just can't be the same. It's just like, how did you live with this guy for six years? But you come yeah. to you come to our house. And you are just a different dog who just... People say that, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, look, you know, there's, if, if, you, if you ever saw Molly, it's just like, yeah, she's the happiest dog around. But it's yeah. just like... But when I first ever... Because we looked after her for a month while he was in hospital back at... Uh, just as lockdown began, actually. The first lockdown. And she was a, the happiest dog I'd ever seen. But for whatever reason, her and I made a great connection. Um, yeah. And then, like I said, sadly, her, her owner died. So um, the family then got in touch and said could you, could you actually have her on a full-time basis and um but she is the complete opposite of what everyone said her life was like and really? i just yeah you completely you know but again weirdly i was always told that she wasn't good around other dogs at all you know and you had to be careful when walking her stuff like that yeah not my experience whatsoever i let off the lead it took me a while to teach her not no it was a while before i was confident with her recall yeah yeah, yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> but I don't have any problems with her with other dogs. Well, I, I would give, I would um, describe her as a reactive dog in she seems to react however she's approached. So if the dog yeah. comes jumping up <clears throat> all nice and friendly, she's the friendliest dog going. If the dog comes up with a bit of chip on, her on its shoulder, she tends to, to mirror that back. Yeah. Um, 
but I've not had a single issue with her. And yet everybody warned me when I took her, be really careful around other dogs because she, she's not good with dogs. I've not had a single problem with her once. Off the lead dogs or on the pick, lead. Yeah, dogs pick up on, on so much of your emotion. And, you know, they, when I'm with clients and, and teaching them, um, particularly when you've got reactive dogs, the first thing that you need to be is okay with yourself and confident with that dog um, and not feeding that dog your anxiety and that tension and that worry down down the lead, literally. Yeah. Um, and um, there's um, a wonderful lady I've got a book on the shelf um, called Janet Finlay, who um, I'm fortunate enough to to actually speak to you now. Um, and, and I actually am in contact, I'm in a, a, another group. And so I see her and, and see um, a lot of what she does um, up close and personal now. But um, she's got a book called Your End of the Lead. And, and it kind of goes through the, the whole process of, uh, you know, how, how you're feeding your dog that emotion and how you, by changing your emotion, you can change your dog's emotional state as well. Um, and it's and it's really, really true. And that's, you know, that's why dogs seem to be different with, with different people. Mm. Cause because I think... they, they <clears throat> so feel Karen. different around those people, you know. Yeah, because I think people don't understand that the the kind of the instinct, the pack mentality with dogs, is that they feed off the the, uh-huh. the, the pack, you know, like uh-huh. literally, you know, if, a, if if one dog is alert, all the others uh-huh. become alert to, first, and then like then uh-huh. what is the danger? You know, do we have a reason to be alert? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but also <clears throat> when 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 you look at when you speak about pack mentality, I mean, that, that, that's a whole new whole new podcast, but um. With we can do another mentality. podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mentality is, is, you see pack mentality, I think, when you, in a multi-dog household, for sure, you see the, um, you see the interaction between the dogs um, and they all just kind of find their way to fit in because dogs aren't um, naturally aggressive. They don't, no. they're, they're peacekeepers, you know. Um, domestic dogs don't, don't, don't want to, kick off just for the sake of it and um you know they're not just not that way inclined they like it they like an easy life um but you can only associate that pack mentality um to to dogs you, you know it doesn't work in the human crossing over the species in that way because then we go into the the, the dominance theory element and the, the alpha dog and the pack leader and all that kind of thing and that's something that um, you know, you could spend hours and hours debating, but there's a lot of, of you know scientific research now that shows that um, dogs are not pack animals in that sense. I seen Just, a sorry, I seen a study on that that literally was like, no, no, dogs hang out with their friends first and foremost. It is yeah, and it's just yeah. like this idea that there is this pet pack mentality and this dominance order is, is yeah. complete. Well, the evidence well, is suggestion that. If dogs are free to roam, they choose their packs more. They choose. They choose. They're semi-solitary creatures, so they they'll choose. Um, you might see them hanging out with a few of them down the beach, like in you know Zanti being a case in point. Yeah. Um, during the day, um, there'll there'll be a few of them together. In the evening, they might split off. There might be one dog that they particularly get on with, and they they hang out together, or they might just hang out on their own. You know, they yeah. they they're kind of not bothered. They they'll do either or given the choice that it's not something that they're particularly worried about but you know the all the studies with regards to dominance and pack, pack mentality um we're obviously looking at wolves yeah and um, and obviously you know that there is a there is an ancestry but the dog, domestic dogs are quite far removed from from the wolves that were being studied historically and also this this pack mentality from the science that that came out of the research was done on wolves that were actually in captivity originally. I, I think that might be so one of the studies. Not even the wolves were acting naturally, you know. So actually, if you look at a wild pack of wolves that are actually living in the wild, wolf packs actually live as a family. There's a mum and a dad and there's, yeah. the, there's the kids and they all kind of hang out together. There's no one alpha dog. There's no one trying to nick the territory or, or any, anything like that. And so if, if, if we look at dogs in that context... Then again, it's it's a totally different thing. So dogs, invariably, the dominance thing comes from dogs. You know, some dogs want priority over a resource. That's all it kind of boils down to. So whether that's you know whether that's their food, 
you know, a bone, their bed, their mum and dad's bed. Do you know, you know, when you get dogs that are sort of snarly and growly because you go to move them off the bed, it's just because they really, really love that bed. Yeah. You know, they it's really comfy and it smells of you and they like it there, thanks very much. And they're telling you that they don't want to move. It's it's not that they're trying to overpower you. They've got some kind of, you know, under, underground kind of thing going on. They're trying but, to take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not every dog who wants to lie on your bed is trying to take control the world. But it's yeah. it's interesting because I, I think that might be the same study where somebody pointed out that the flaw in the study was you're studying uh, wolves that don't have an option and that actually in i think the bit that stuck out for me is that wolves in the wild if they're not happy will just leave they're not forced to stay they want to stay or they actually do uh, you get solo wolves and they eventually if they they're not happy within the family they meet up with other wolves and develop their own packs yeah. and yeah. this whole idea that they glued to the pack was, is just a big myth which then yeah. <clears throat> kind of transcended down the chain of well what were all the other myths you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's kind of more a family environment, and like you say, they're kind of free to come and go. But also, if they find an orphan wolf, mm. then it's quite common that they'll let him come into the family. And yeah, but it, it's the... much more uh, a cooperation than a dominance. Yes, is is kind yeah. of what I t- I took from the study. Is it's like okay, and they were saying that um, specifically, you know, especially with um, dogs and dog parks and stuff like domestic dogs, when you see them if they're all familiar with each other playing certain dogs just stick to each other and ignore yeah. other dogs and it's a personality thing yeah. <clears throat> you know the dogs this yeah. idea that you know because if a dog becomes too dominant too bully the uh too bullying all the other dogs will ignore it and will actually kind of if anything yeah, stick together to yeah and will if anything stick together to kind of keep that dog at a distance it's like no if you come over mate we're all gonna have a go at you <clears throat> yeah. and it was the complete opposite of what everybody had taught, been taught, like you know, that if the big bruiser mm-hmm. turned up, right, I'm in charge, you're all going to worship me, and it's just, uh, it didn't yeah. work like that at all. It was a very cooperative sort of society where everyone yeah. had to kind of toe a line, but yeah. the the lines weren't what uh, we all thought they were. The lines were really no, that's it. And leave not us like alone. a hierarchy. Yeah, no. everybody kind of just selects who the who the you know some of the dogs want to be um, you know seen as slightly superior, and, the, and there's other dogs that. Couldn't give a monkey's and just, yeah. like, you know, it just was, carry on. Yeah, it seemed to be the take from the, the latest studies that I've seen is if a dog tries to be over-dominant, all the other dogs will just ignore it, you know? Yeah. And actually, the only time you had dominance displays is if one dog kind of didn't have any manners and then maybe uh, a more aggressive dog would put it in its place. You know? Yeah, but that, and normally, like I say, that's that's due to resources. That's because yeah. one dog wants... Wants, and that could even be wants to play with another dog has decided yeah. you know and, and wants the other dog to, to mm. go away as a consequence so yeah but it, it's like you said i mean uh, a few minutes ago no domestic dogs have zero interest in violence it, it's not their nature at all so yeah. so for anybody who is listening to this and they're thinking of getting a dog mm-hmm. right what would your advice be Um, first of all, think about um, the the sort of dog that you want to get and why um, you want to get that dog. So there's um, lots of different reasons why you know why you choose a certain type of dog, but um, I I wouldn't let it be just because um, Joe and Dave down the road have got one and it seems really nice um, because there seems to be a propensity. For that kind of thing with people that particularly haven't owned a dog before to see somebody else's dog and think oh that seems nice and and you know in the same kind of you know you might have the same kind of family environment and that kind of thing but you have to remember that all dogs are different yes regardless of the breed um and all dogs um you know depending on which breed do they come from their bloodline and all that kind of thing but also how how they're they're treated once they obviously leave the mother and and again the environment that what happened so no no two dogs are the same so you need to think about things like um how big that dog's going to get how um often you're going to be able to exercise the dog how much time you're going to be spending at home with the dog um 
and and then moving on from that do you, do you want a puppy do you want to go through that process of training house training and um, you know the sleepless nights that come with it at the beginning um and um you know the zoomies and the, the adolescent stage and, and all the rest of it um or would you be happy to take on a dog that was a little bit older in which case you know would you would you look at a rescue dog would you look at a rescue dog over here would you look at a rescue dog from a, a, a shelter abroad? Would you be able to take a senior dog? You know, there's so many older dogs in shelters that are beautiful, ready-made, toilet-trained, mm. beautifully mannered, don't need a lot of, you know, exercise, just happy to just sit and watch the world go by and go out for a plod for a couple of times a day and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and things like um, whether they shed hair or whether they don't, a kind of... You know, neither here nor there, and a lot of the breeds that have been bred to not shed hair, um, because they've been so overbred now already, they just shed hair. So yeah. you know, there's things on that you can't rely on. Um, but um, if you're gonna, if you have a, a specific breed that you want, go through the kennel club. Don't look up on Facebook. Don't look it up in newspapers. Don't don't do any of that. Go to go to the kennel club. Get a registered proper proper breeder um, and make sure that you see the parents you don't hand over any money until you have done that um, and um, and and yeah and and the breeder should be able to give you lots of advice and information about the dog that you're getting and an offer to to take it back should it turn out that you know the dog's not for you um, but yeah and, and consider your kids as well you know i think people um think that getting a dog is a great thing for a kid and it is it's an amazing thing but it also needs to be really heavily supervised from the off and if you have young children and you're thinking about getting a puppy um you have to be really really careful about how those two things interact um so that you know it, it can be the situation where you're going to get a puppy into into a, a home with younger children and children really love it to start off with but when the puppies are like really bitey and chasing them around and, and that kind of thing then that almost destroys the relationship that they have and then the kids don't want anything to do with the dog those needle fine teeth that they have as puppies yes um so yeah so just think about the whole thing and and if you're not sure you want some advice then you know speak to somebody like myself speak to a dog trainer or a dog behaviorist um, a lot of people will, you know, be happy to speak to you. I, I certainly, as half of the course, give 30-minute free consultations to people and I'm more than happy to discuss the why's and wherefores. So what would what specifically, if there is a specific difference, between a dog trainer and a dog behaviourist? The, the two are invariably intertwined. And I yeah. think um, the, um, to, to be a good dog behaviourist, you need to... Um, obviously understand the mechanics of training and be able to, to train a dog to a decent standard yourself. Yeah. Um, as a trainer, just by, I mean, as part of your um, qualifications, invariably you're going to be looking at a certain amount of the psychology and, and of the dog, that's kind of a given. So it, the two, the two are quite blurred. I think it's just down to, um, you know, some people want to work with dogs and be out and training and, um, you know, be in the fields and, and just interact with dogs all day long, um, and which is which is great. Um, and then there's, I see myself, like I say, as a dog behaviourist. So I spend more time analysing things, picking out bits of behaviour from, from a dog um, and then looking at ways that we can um, alter that behaviour. Um, whether that's with food, whether that's with a change in medication, whether that's with um, owner handling issues, or whether that's by training the dog. And then then looking at the element of training, um, you know, it might be that I, I would then refer the owner on to another trainer to do that specific kind of training work. Um, and likewise, you know, you might have a trainer who is a, a trainer predominantly working with a dog, but then finding that there's certain behaviours that that don't seem, you know, that, that, that don't seem to be quite as they should be, or that are causing a problem with the training or whatever, and then they may in turn then you know 
go and see a behaviourist as, as a result. There's kind of, you know, spectrum ends and they kind of blur in the middle. There's some amazing behaviourists behaviorist slash trainers that do both. They do it wonderfully and, and you know, so, and they're yeah. great. So it's more how the individual focuses their practice more than the actual yes, title in the role. Yeah, 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 yeah. More down to, to personal preference of, of how you, you you want to carry out your business and how you want to help the dog, really. So would you say the being the dog behaviourist is kind of partly that interest that you had in psychology? Yes. And the behaviour yeah, of totally. humans. Yeah, so, so it, stems, it stems that the root is always just... Is kind of trying to figure out why we do what we do and how. Yeah, and, and, and the relationship between the the, the guardian and the, and the dog. Um, you know that that's for me that's such a key thing because back along, um, you know, I was kind of known as the the mad dog woman of my village because I had these two Frenchies and and you can imagine what it's like now. But yeah, um, that they used to say, oh, they're so well behaved, and you know, and and when even when I got all four of them out on leads, um. You know, a lot of people sort of say, "Oh God, they're so good," and and um, and that, they they haven't had a lot of formal training. It's purely down to you know, I kind of worked it out. It's just down to how I am with them, how I interact with them, yeah. how I've looked after them. They've had routine. They've had, you know, and so it's all those kind of base things that I spend a lot of my time focusing on with my clients and how. And it's it's fascinating to see how a lot of the time, not all the time, not all the time, you know, you can't do this with every behaviour, but a lot of the time, just by making a few tweaks to daily routines and little nuances and, and bits and pieces, that in a short space of time, they see the differences in their dog as a, as a consequence. So, yeah, so that's kind of, and yeah, and so the human psychology side of it, it it's really important because, especially when you're training dogs as well, because you're training the owners, you know, you're training yeah. the guardians to to train the dogs, so you have to have that understanding of how how people think and and how different people. Yeah, think I think. Differently. I mean, it's only a personal opinion. I think a lot of people underestimate how much feedback the dog wants from you. Uh -huh. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, like if yeah. you're if you're the caregiver to the dog, you feed the dog, you provide shelter, you provide exercise. The the uh -huh. dog is constantly going to be okay. What's the plan? Do you know what I mean? The, the dog doesn't have to do anything for itself, so it wants to know what your plan is, so it can kind of respond to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at it from the kind of cynical perspective, and it, you know, they're basically prisoners. Yeah. You know, we, no, they we are. take them in, they're, they're animals, and we put them on a lead and we walk them around. We tell them when they can go to the toilet, when they can eat, when they can drink, when they can go in the car, when they can go for a walk, when they, you know, yeah. we, we dictate everything they do you know, to, to the nth degree sometimes. Um, and so, um, you know, as part of that, we also need to remember that there's, there's, there's the good stuff that they need as well. A dog's life needs to be fun at the end of the day. Yeah. Once, do once dogs are having fun, um, you, can, you can train them to do most things. Do you come across any common misconceptions when people come to you? Common misconceptions? Yeah, either with dog training, dog ownership, dog breeds... Uh, dog personalities is there something oh, that always yeah. <clears throat> that like oh yeah yeah no i get asked that a lot or they thought this a lot um oh god yeah there's probably loads but you put me on the spot um so things like um dogs can see in the dark um they can't dogs um <laughs> I didn't know that. I honestly thought they had fairly good sight in the dark. Yeah, no, they're not. They're not. They they they've got they've got good vision, but it's not. They in at dawn and and twilight they can see things a lot better than we would be able to. But they can't actually see. Pitch black dark, is still so. pitch black. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. They there's an element of color blindness, um. So they can only pick out certain colors. So if you throw a red ball into the grass, you won't necessarily be able to see it. It's, it's shades of grey to them. So okay. they can see things like, um, yeah, in like yellows and yellowy greens and um, some colours on the blue spectrum as well, like indigo and that kind of thing. Um, oh, one of the, the one of the most common things that I hear is that my dog's being stubborn. You just don't. I tell it just being stubborn, um, and dogs can't really be stubborn. If a dog is, if a dog is being stubborn quotes, um, yeah. are you not doing what you want it to do? It's because you haven't 
um, it doesn't have the motivation to do the thing that you want it to do. It would rather be doing the thing that it's already doing. So you have to change that. You have to change that thing. So it's like with recall, you know, yeah. you, you have to change that that perception for the dog. It's like, actually, it's much better over here because I've got, you know, and, and, and this the things. Um, so it's changing that paradigm. Hmm. Um, but yeah, being, being stubborn is a, is a very common one. So what advice would you give for people for recalling their dogs to train recall? Well, like I just said, for, for recall, the, the, the motivation has to be there for, for the dog to come back to you. So first of all, for, for any kind of training, to get a dog to do, to do anything that it wouldn't ordinarily do, you have to find out what that motivator is. So whether that's food, and if it's food, if they're very food orientated, what's their favourite type of food? If you're talking, you know, because there's different grades of recall. I mean, you know, recall is recall. Yes, you call the dog back and it, it comes to you. But as everybody knows, you can call a dog back in the garden and it will come back to you straight away. You can go out into the forest and they'll see some deer and you call the dog back and, and it's crickets. You know, there's yeah. nothing going on. The famous just, renting You're on video. your own. Yeah. Yeah, it's like see, see ya. Um, so, um, so you you have to find out what what food it is. So for that, it might be chicken, it might be cheese, it might be ham. You can do little treat tests to find out what food they like over and above other stuff. A little story for that: um, I had my first puppy class um, that I I held was in a vet's, and the guy that came in, and there was a guy that came in with a beautiful lab cross, um, black shiny gun dog had a real manly name and um a, you know a really great guy really nice owner and we were doing treat tests and it turned out that his dog over um roast chicken um sausage and cheese preferred carrot <laughs> <laughs> his food of choice was carrot. steamed carrot this guy was mortified i i could mortified. yeah I it's like, it's like he prefers carrot. This is cool, it's cheaper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that was quite funny. But yeah, so you need to kind of get, and then you need to progress with, you know, don't don't go out into the middle of the forest and try and call your, back, call your dog back from 20 metres because it's it's not good. It's a gradual process. You need, yeah. to, you need to build it up. And you also need to um, make sure that your dog doesn't think that by coming back to you, you're going to pop on the lead and, and roll a cough home again as well you know because uh that's not that's not the greatest motivation no because punishment so, doesn't it it's just like if i come back i'm going well, on yeah exactly if i come back and you're going to take me home to tell you you know lots of little exercises with going back to the void um you can use food you can use toys but you get them really excited about the toy you could use a flirt pole to get that that recall going backwards and forwards um and then start adding on the the distance and the distraction and and the, the duration Okay, and Gradual. just conscious of time. Um, mm -hmm. If what reasons would be good reasons for somebody to come to see see you? Um, if they're if they're at a point where their dog's behaviour is um, of concern to them, whether they think that anyone in their household is unsafe as a result of their dog's behaviour or anyone in the public is unsafe as a result of their dog's behaviour, or if their dog's behaviour is causing them any um, stress or anxiety, or is basically making them unhappy. Okay. Um, and is, is you know, is, it, that, that, that their, their emotional state is altering as a result of their dog's behaviour, then, then that's as good a reason as any. Because a lot of the time, um, a dog's behaviour can be, be changed um, for the better quite quite quickly yeah um but the longer you leave it invariably the worse it, it will it will get so yeah because you said if, if people get in touch with you they can uh, you, you're happy to talk to anybody you know sort of um yeah i provide yeah half an hour free consultation yeah. so yeah if anybody emails emails me um or, or sends me a text or whatever i can send them a link and they can book in on my diary for a call okay and then so once they've booked it you know they've had the half hour consultation they, they yeah. realise they, they need some kind of one-to-one -one input, so to yeah. speak. Um, what, what would then carry on from that? How, what happens? How do you introduce yourself to the dog? How do you, you know? Okay, so um, 
depending on obviously what the behavior was i tend to operate um i, I run programs it's very difficult to um diagnose and fix a dog in one session yeah. um and equally if you go from a session bounce from session to session um it's it invariably gets disjointed it gets protracted in it it just makes everything take longer than it needs to so um invariably i will put together a program um over a period of time it could be six weeks eight weeks ten weeks twelve weeks whatever depending on what the, the, the behavior issue is um and then the first session will be i will either um obviously covid allowing will either go and visit um the dog in in the house with the rest of the family preferably um, to introduce myself and then just to do some obs on the dog and and watch the dog watch how the family interact with the dog um go through lots of different um questions about routine and diet and that kind of thing um and then after that there's lots of different ways of doing you know to, doing dog behavior programs now um and obviously virtually is, is one of them and it's something that i'm certainly moving towards now over the course of the past year obviously it's been something that just crazy yeah. yeah um and um but it works really well so um so it'd be a combination of zoom zoom meetings i have a school which i upload different um teaching modules onto for clients depending on what they need to learn so it's all um, pre-recorded stuff like presentations with me narrating it and, and going through different things, teaching them that that way. Video analysis, so the, the owners taking videos of their dogs doing the things that I've asked them to do or just doing some observations of things that they're concerned about. And, you know, that's great because I can put them on the computer. I can slow-mo them. I can literally pick things apart, particularly with regards to how the dog's moving, body language of the dog and that kind of thing. Um, and then obviously you know good old calls and facetime and, and that kind of thing in between as well if it's needed so okay. um but yeah so that's that's kind of what it what it looks like working with a, a dog behaviorist it okay. can be one-to-one -one stuff yeah but a lot of it can be done virtually as well so you don't yeah, i have a client in scotland so oh wow so okay so you yeah so literally anybody around the world if they, if they have access to the internet yeah can... yeah, yeah 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 oh that's brilliant and i'll as we wrap this up, I'll make sure afterwards that you and I have a conversation to make sure all the links and I've got all the links and I'll put them attached to everything so people can find you. And Thank you. No, you're very welcome. That's probably a great place to wrap up. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome.